BerserkerCast, episode number 13, Space Oddity Review. This is Drew Roy, also known as Hal Mason on Falling Skies. You're listening to the Berserker Cast on Golden Spiral Media. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to Falling Skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Salutations, whatever welcome is, however you say it in Volm. Are you like that, huh? Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Welcome to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How are you tonight? Gotta say, I'm I'm about halfway between good and halfway between bad. Is that Does that have anything to do with the excitement of talking about a couple of episodes of Falling Skies and the reality of knowing that we're going to have to wait almost a year before we get to do it again? That might be very close to why I have chosen these words to describe where I'm at. Yeah, I am exactly there with you. I'm choosing to stay on the positive side. That's why I have so much energy because I'm really excited about what we get to talk about tonight. Me too. No, I I mean, I'm so excited to be able to talk about these episodes, but I am equally as sad that we don't get to talk about it for like another nine months. Indeed. You know, we did the intro there with Drew Roy, which is normally an indicator that we have scored an interview with whoever is doing the intro. Like last week we did for Mm -hmm. Doug Jones. We didn't get the interview with Doug, with uh, Drew Roy, excuse me, but our friend Mike did. And so we might have that for you as a bonus podcast. The The interview was done. He, he did it uh, through conjunction of a different, uh, like a, a blogging website. So they're not going to be using the audio from it. So they might let us have the audio from it. And if they do, we will release that to you. So there might be a bonus episode. I just can't say yet uh, whether or not we'll get to do that. But for sure, we did get the uh, Drew Roy intro yeah. for the podcast which is so cool and mike thank that you, was mike. awesome yeah thank you so Mike's, much it was perfect yeah and he's joining us for the live show we have a great crowd for the live show tonight biggest one we've had all season yeah people are sad and happy and yeah just like me sad and happy yeah <laughs> i'm in an emotional state of flux right now are you yeah well why don't you uh, channel that emotional state of flux and tell us all about the directors and writers for these two episodes that we're talking about might be able to do that so the first one of this two-part finale it's not really a two-part but we got to see both episodes at once of course space odyssey was directed by olatunde asun asun sanami i'm gonna guess (laughs) and shoot the moon was directed by greg beeman space oddity was written by m raven metzner and shoot the moon was written by david ike Mm mm-hmm there were no notable guest stars that I could really point out. I mean, by this point, uh, Dingans is a recurring character. Mm-hmm. So is Scarlet Byrne. Uh, sorry. What is his name? Uh, Treva Etienne or mm-hmm. something like right. that. Right. Yeah. So, but. Yeah. And, and Mia was back, it? but she's kind of recurring as well. 
Right. And I'm presuming that the Volm father leader commander dude was again played by Doug Jones. <laughs> <laughs> father and son. Yes. <laughs> In a weird. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. Well, and because it was all just, it was probably all CGI, really. So he was just voicing. Yeah. Him. Yeah, you're probably right because it was all on a on a video screen. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our episode discussion. I guess we we'll get it kicked off tonight with some feedback that we got from Gannon. Yeah, Gannon had some just overall reactions to the finale. He says, "What a finale and overall amazing season." I know some people had some issues with it, but with the Lexi storyline and some character developments. But for me, it was a much needed fresh reboot in a way, uh, which I believe is what the show needed after a disappointing season three. Everything down from the action character arcs and the mythology expanding was just awesome. And although I may not have been pleased with all of the episodes and the arcs, it was extremely satisfying. As this is one of my favorite shows of all time, I'm so glad this show is getting stronger and that they'll be able to finally end the show as sad as it is on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't really agree with season three being disappointing, I, I do know that we have talked about how every season, it seems they always know where they're going to end. And it just takes a little bit of time for the story to build up and, and start driving in that direction. But once they once they start that path, that's when it starts to get really good. So, what was it? A uh, Saturday Night Massacre. Mm-hmm. That was probably the episode for me this season where just everything started to turn toward that really strong writing, strong directing, and everybody kind of coming together. Because we we can say overall that it's really strong acting. Sure. No, I, I agree. And you know, I wasn't really disappointed with season three either. In fact, I think I was more disappointed with this season than season three. But I think the the thing that I keep coming back to that makes me disappointed in this season was that we got two extra episodes, but I didn't feel like we got two extra episodes worth of story. Um, right. But for for what this show is, which is a, it's a great, fun, sci-fi, alien-invading, butt-kicking, looking at you know humanity and, and morality and history and all those things that they pour into this show, this is another successful season in my eyes. Most definitely. They have some characters that... I just find totally unique and totally engaging. And I think Gannon had something to say about Tom. Maybe that was Mickey, Mm -hmm. but you know, just how we just get some of the strongest characters on the show. And sometimes when you have too many really strong supporting characters, they conflict with one another, but this show has been taken in so many directions and has so many fraying story arcs that you really need all of those really strong characters. Mm -hmm in order to make it work. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, it starts out, uh, starts off right where the last episode left off, which was with Lexi sauntering into... Uh, sauntering. Say, yeah, well, <laughs> I was going to say town. It's not really a town, but, you know, where the second masses hold up. And she, that one of the first things they pointed out was that her eyes were no longer dilated. Mm-hmm. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. (laughs) Yeah. And that was something we had talked about earlier on in the season was that that might be a clue as to where Lexi is, you know, her state of mind or I don't know the right terminology here, but if her, if her eyes ever were not 
uh, dilated instead of it being you know dilated they're open if they were not oh. dilated it might might mean that they're they've been opened and that was the case so it's more like mood ring oh mood ring oh tell me will you bring wow. <laughs> and so like, her eyes are the mood ring to her soul you're channeling your inner singing clint tonight that's something <laughs> Oh dear, I'm singing, aren't I? You are. It's That's, because I'm in a foreign place. I see. You are in your parents' house tonight. <laughs> I am at my parents' house. Yeah. Stupid internet is still not up and running, but so I will adjust quickly. Lexi wants, she says that she wants to be the weapon to end the war. And Tom and Anne just totally shut her down, shut her out. That might be the better term. Won't let her back in. Uh, were you surprised by this? Did you think maybe one would let her in, one wouldn't, or what? How did you think it would go down? You know, they have been they have been cornered into such a hard place in the second mass, where they have given her so many chances to prove that she is not Ishveni, mm-hmm. and and the last time they trusted her, it was so disastrous. So, I am sure at this point they're they're both thinking. We have all of these people looking at us right now. She did not hide her entrance. She did not come in concealed. They're probably acting as much for everybody watching them as they are for themselves. So while they're still trying to protect themselves, I'm sure they're thinking these people trust us now and we can't back down Mm -hmm. on, I don't know, on protecting everybody. We have to think about the second mass first. And I think in in the previous episodes here, Tom has really brought Anne into onto his side Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess in that sense, I wasn't surprised, but I, but I was surprised that they actually did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, I think that's what it was for me too. You'll remember that there was an, after an episode where we thought Anne might even run off and go look for Lexi, yeah. you know? Yeah. So for both of them to really take this hard stand, which was completely understandable, but to see them actually do it was a little bit surprising. What surprised me the most actually wasn't Anne. It was Tom where he basically turns his back and says, and you do whatever you want. I, I'm not having nothing to do with her. And he walks off. I mean, that was, yeah. That, and that surprised and uh, me. keep her away from me. Yeah, something yeah, very yeah, finite. Yeah. yeah. I really liked how we got a really long look at each of them during this. Like we got a long look at Lexi. We got a long look at Tom and, and, and Lexi, it was a striking me that for the first time, she's really letting her humanity show over her Ashfeni. You know, she's, She's a scared little girl mm-hmm. and <laughs> finally vulnerable to her parents and feeling the full weight of uh, of human guilt and remorse. And I thought it was kind of foreshadowing into the dream state, you know, like what we're going to be seeing from her there. Yeah. But I just, I really liked seeing that side of her because she she was for so long just suppressing all of those parts of her humanity. And I don't know, I feel like that's, pretty much the reason she was not able to understand humans <laughs> but now letting it in i mean just throughout these two episodes she just grows so much and it makes me so sad to think that we might not have her next season oh well, we might. But we'll get to that we'll get to that but we'll get to that we'll get to that we definitely got an, an experience or lexi got an experience in humanity and we got to kind of live through that this episode and that discussion will definitely come and go kind of weave itself throughout our conversations what'd you think about uh, pope and the the decision <laughs> he made there at the beginning well okay i was thinking about this a little bit because the last couple episodes have se- like especially since he's met sarah He's just seems so erratic, <laughs> right? And it's it's like, 
for the longest time, we couldn't get you to fight on the side of the second mass. And now all of a sudden, not only are you all gung-ho, but you're advocating for the Masons. I mean, like, what is going on? And it seems like a slow evolution, but maybe it was Sarah. Maybe it was just timing. It seems like he finally has fully embraced it. And it's it's like he's almost going through the same transformation as Lexi in a way. And that he's finally letting his humanity show. He's finally feeling responsibility maybe that's the word maybe and maybe it was when sarah pointed out to him the, you know kind of his hypocrisy or his, you know where he, he would say one thing but then he would demonstrate mm-hmm. another and she kind of called him out on it and so maybe that was yep. his moment where he he saw himself in the mirror and and just was kind of becoming he's not okay with it yet he still tries to put on that hard shell but man he broke down in front of tom too and i thought that was really um Mm -hmm. a a great scene a great moment for him even when you know because he he's also taking the line there that that tom's going to say look you shot at my daughter you're out of here and he says you you know pope uses the phrase your people or your family and talking about the second mass and tom was quick to say your this is our family we're still in this together you know and i I liked that a lot too but um that was a good moment i thought Uh, i wasn't surprised by his decision to fire off around but i loved what what resulted after that right and i think it it was also a reflection on what had just gone down with tom and ann i mean like we were just saying we didn't actually expect them to go through with this even though it wasn't surprising and with the same with I felt with Pope is that you weren't surprised that Pope took the shot, but you were actually surprised that he actually did it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or at least I was, I mean, I don't know what I expected there, but yeah, I thought the funniest part was Lexi responding to the gun shot. They have no reason to be afraid of me. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) They have a whole lot of reason to be afraid of you. We might not have that long memory spans, but <laughs> it goes back at least that far. We do remember Saturday Night Massacre. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah. One of the one of the lines I wasn't sure about, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Okay, th- there was a line Pope said. He said uh, he was talking about the people that he'd um, buried, mm-hmm. and he said, "I fought beside them in that godforsaken ghetto." And so I'm wondering <laughs> if he means in the last five minutes <laughs> or if he forgot that he was a hoarder for most of that time period. That line just went over my head until the moment you said it just now. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe I, I tried to go back and find it again, but I couldn't find it enough time. Maybe there was more to that, but yeah. <laughs> just kind of laughed. There were a couple things he said throughout this episode that I was just going, you do remember what your role in this was too, don't you? <laughs> Yes, selective memories. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, here's what Mark had to say about the Pope Lexi situation. I think Pope had every right to react the way he did towards Lexi. I mean, I don't condone the fact that he took a shot at her, but I could fully understand where he was coming from. He was probably the only one who was willing to act on the way he felt, because I'm sure he's not the only one that felt the same way. That because of, well, they all know that because of Lexi, Lourdes is dead, but they also realize that because of her, many, many others are dead. And I'm sure with all the resentment towards her, the Pope wasn't the only one who wanted to take a shot at her. He was the only one willing to, to actually go through with it. So I don't blame him at all. And I think he was actually in the right to do that, although I don't condone it. <laughs> do you think he was in the right to do it? I, I'm under the impression that we never have the right to take someone else's life, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, 
I don't know. Maybe he doesn't consider her human. So maybe I don't know. Yeah, I can certainly understand why he did, and and don't blame him, if you will, for yes. the action that he took. He's thinking if if he had done that the first time, they'd still have two hundred or so with the second mass instead of twenty. He did try to do it the first time, though. Remember? I know and he tried Lexi to. Totally turned the okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, I'm probably getting too semantic about it, but having the right to do something and having or and condoning someone's actions, I know they're not equitable, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I certainly can't blame him for doing it, mm-hmm. and I think he he has the right to defend his people, whatever form that takes. I suppose. Yeah, yeah and I think I think that's kind of what it boils down to. And I think you made a good point too of. He's not convinced that she's human. The last actions they saw out of her, she was clearly not acting like she was a human. So I don't blame him for that. Right. All right. Well, we've already talked about some of the other actions of Pope. I think we're ready to talk about some of the new things that we learned about Cochise. And, and you know, Doug kind of alluded to this or flat mentioned it in our interview with him uh, a couple weeks ago where he said that they were the only Volm that were on the entire planet of Earth. You know, prior to that, mm-hmm. I think I was, I think you were too, or I was at least thinking that there was pockets of Volm around the earth. Not very many though, but we learned that it was just them. We get a little bit more information about that this time. And we learned that he and his father left on bad terms. Are on the outs. Yeah. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Yeah. One more daddy issues. Yeah. This was really interesting to me. And I liked that we got this little piece because we kind of suspected something was up when they never returned. I mean, what could really be keeping them away? If I'm not even sure how to say that. We know that the Eshveni went after some of their own people on another planet somewhere, so they mm-hmm. had to leave to take care of that. But I can remember Kochi saying something about his father saying Earth was a lost cause. Right. So at what point did he make that discernment before or after they abandoned the humans. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, they let, they I mean, abandoned they don't the- have any responsibility for us. Sorry to talk over you, no, but fine. I mean like they, they don't have nothing drew them to the planet in the first place to defend the humans They They were really after the Ashveni. So mm-hmm. it's not, it was never really about the humans, but sorry, that's all I needed to say. Yeah. Go when on. I was trying to, to remember why they left earth, wasn't it because they're, hatchlings and families were under attack yes yeah i think so so it makes sense to go defend your own but then once you say well we saved these people and then abandoned them and now they're dying and going extinct so let's just leave them because they're a lost cause that's of kind of how i interpreted what they were doing yeah and you know from their point of view I don't blame them either. I mean, they don't have right. any connection. Like you said, they don't have any obligation or, or it's not their fight. Their fight is with the Ashvini, not with, not to defend the, uh, the humans. Can you remember what Cochise was saying about the weapon? Did it something about there, there was no hope in finding it or maybe that it wasn't on earth act, after, after all and that they had to go search for it elsewhere. Do you remember a conversation about that? Last season or this season? The, in the in this episode. Oh, well, clearly I don't if I'm asking questions <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay. I, I couldn't remember exactly. I felt like there was something about Cochise wasn't to come back here because there was really no point that they couldn't find 
the power source, so they might as well abandon and look elsewhere. But I couldn't remember exactly what that verbiage was. So it becomes a little pointless because, you know, it was it was great to see Cochise active in this way and mm-hmm. that he's, even though he knows, he, you know, he wishes he could have gone up with Tom, but because he can't, he's doing everything he can to bring help to Tom. Right. And that was really cool to see him act in that way, you know, very much part of the second mass family now. Mm-hmm. They really do have a great uh, relationship, a, a nice respect for each other, a good understanding. And, you know, he's trying, but at the same time, he's trying to convince Tom to wait so that his dad can come help. But I mean, I thought Tom made the right decision. Yeah. Even though we do see the Volm show up, I mean, there was no, in my mind, when he's describing that to Tom, I'm going, come on, Cochise. You don't delay a mission because of this. You're not selling me on your strategy here, man. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it it depends on whether we really think there was anything time sensitive about this mission. I mean, I, I know that the longer you w- wait, the more you risk the Ishveni knowing what your plan is. Right, right. But but it's not really like they were intending to move the power source or what have you. So, I mean, even waiting 24 hours could have provided them with the time they need needed to wait for the Volm. But then again, that's just, you know, they didn't know it was coming and they already had this whole thing planned. Sure. No, but you make a good point too. But all right, well, let's get back into the Lexi and uh, conversation here because Tom really has, he said, well, we're going, we're going to the moon. We, you know, we delayed it an hour, an hour, an hour. We're, we're back on schedule. Lexi is trying to convince Anne that she is telling her the truth. And this was some great conversation in my mind because we're all trying to suss this out with Anne. Same before when we saw her talking to Anne and Tom, even throughout the entire episode, for the most part, most of the episode, we are sitting there as an audience trying to figure out if we can trust Lexi, just like the rest of them. Are they making the right decision? Are they not? And I loved this. I always enjoy this sort of thing where they don't clue the audience in and we get to play the game. Uh, along with them but you know she she acknowledges that she killed Lourdes it was her decision not the Ishvini's decision mm-hmm. but she also says that she thought she was doing Lourdes a favor she thought she was saving her the pain of death that was going to come to her but she sees the kind of the flaw in that logic now um, right and I'm still yeah, sitting and there I, going, I, really I don't know she... I don't know if she's yeah. telling the truth or not it, because it, you know, it's all—they're it, all things that you would want to tell someone to put them back on your sky, side. Yeah, I know my logic was skewed, right? But I—I <laughs> I mean, I. This is my problem with every single show. Like these kinds of scenes just totally get me, and I immediately start to believe them, no matter what it is. And usually, I end up paying for it. Usually. They end up being evil, and I'm like, oh, great. I would have died just there <laughs> if I was in this show. But, you know, I I don't know what it is exactly. It might have been because we got to see her actually destroy the monkish Fenny. I'm not exactly sure, but I didn't have any problem believing her right from the very beginning. I was actually believing her too. And I was just like you. I'm going, man, I always get these wrong. They want us to believe it. They're going to dash our hopes. And yeah, but I kept going back to, and this was brought up. Uh, that was that she shot down all those beamers and I, right. she didn't have to do that. And yes, it could have all been an act just to get the second mass on her side. But mm-hmm. 
that was a big deal to me, and I kept kind of angering my my point of view into in that fact. And even from the very beginning here, there are pieces to her humanity that she is letting rise to the surface that she was suppressing before. Like she would not call her, she would not call Tom her father. Mm-hmm. You know, she would not make herself vulnerable or admit that she was in the wrong in any way. She would always counter something that a human said to her with something that made it seem like she was justifying it, whatever form that took. And so I feel like that was, we, we see it slowly over the course of this episode, and we'll get into it a little bit more later, but especially right here, there are things that she is doing differently in her approach to these conversations that I found to be directly contradictory to everything that the Ashveni had been teaching her. Sure. That's a good point. But again, we didn't know if it was just another, right. maybe she's now <laughs> mastered another level of manipulation as she is growing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and Anne you know, even and calls her out on that. Anne says, don't, don't, you know, uh, speak to my motherly appeal to my maternal appeal, instinct or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, again, it was it was hard to decide. Now, and again, even after all that, rejects Lexi. She mm-hmm. says, "I hope you find your place in your world, wherever that is, but it's not here." And I was really surprised at this point that Le- uh, Anne is still rejecting Lexi outright. Right, because I could totally see her behaving one way with Tom there, but I really thought that she was bringing Lexi away to say, okay, I trust you, but yes. we have to do this in order to get everybody else on our side, all right? Right, yes, yeah. that was not the case. Yeah, but you know, it was really cool because I felt like it, it, gave, it gave Lexi a little time to also feel out her mother because she, she demonstrates a couple of her abilities to Anne not realizing that they they would cause Anne any sort of disturbance. She was just trying to show how valuable she would be to this mission, you know, by saying, I can hear the conversation going on on the ship. Mm-hmm. And Anne is like, don't do that. You don't eavesdrop on people's conversations. And she's like, what? What? I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was cool in terms of she was doing something that she found completely natural, that she had been taught to do. Mm-hmm. But now learning that it is not a human trait that again starts to feed into what her dream or the dream she has in the cocoon, you know, it's, it starts to feed into what she wants out of life, you know, after the mission and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, I, I don't know, maybe it was an interplay of the things we know that both Tom and uh, Lexi want out of life in the way that they're carried out in the cocoon that made me kind of just believe Lexi a little bit more. So maybe it was more hindsight that I felt these things, but were you surprised that uh, Weaver was more apt to believe Lexi? I was, but I, I, I loved his point of view. I loved why he was the believer. He's got a uh-huh. point of view that Anne and Tom don't have. They are still very emotionally attached to this situation. And emotion mm-hmm. can blind us a lot of times. Emotion is what blinded them the last time that led to the massacre. So they were, their pendulum had swung back the full other way this time, but still they are being guided by emotion. And Weaver has the third party perspective and you know, the one consoling thing that he has is that he never gave up on Jeannie and Jeannie never mm-hmm. gave up on her, her humanity. And right. if Lexi is coming back to them saying, I have this 
humanity and I want to embrace it and I am trying to, I see the error of my ways, then as parents, they should not be outright rejecting her. And I love that Weaver was the one. We, he earned that throughout the season. He earned mm-hmm. the ability to stand opposed to them and help bring them, you know, around. Now, I thought it came incredibly fast and easy. It was, I mean, (laughs) I wish there had been more dialogue. I wish there had been less running from fog and more dialogue here. But still, it was good. Yeah. You know, Tom did have a point, though, that Jeannie fought hard and consistently to hold on to her humanity while Lexi outright rejected it. Sure. Absolutely. It's a big deal. Big difference. Yeah. I personally thought it was a very beautiful contrast in that Weaver had, he had to look below the surface of Jeannie in order to see the human in her because by all appearances, she had completely lost it. And here's Lexi who looks completely normal, like a healthy 21 year old young lady. And the monster is actually within her instead of without. And I always feel like when, when the monster is buried so far deep beneath the surface and, you know, kind of like Charlie Francis as a shapeshifter wow, in yeah. later season, you know, just like how he, he wheedles himself in and pretends to be someone he's not. And it just, it just makes the wound so much deeper when you realize that it's not the person isn't who they say they are. And, mm-hmm. and for Weaver to still, despite all of that, see the humanity in Lexi. I mean, he's the only one looking for it at this stage because he, already had the experience with looking beyond the monster. So I, I found it really beautiful. And I think that that has been one of Weaver's most lovable characteristics this entire season is just his passion. Uh, I think somebody wrote in about Weaver's optimism mm. and we'll probably get to it, but okay. I will read that later. What did you think about the decision that Anne and Tom made? They, so he swayed them. Would Would you have needed swaying would you have been swayed by tom and where were you kind of at this point i mean you i know you I, said you were kind of believing her yeah. earlier but now more dialogue has has taken place so have you changed at all at this point well believing her is one thing but allowing her to go on the mission is a completely different story right right, right. yeah and I think the only reason I would have been swayed is by her demonstrating her powers because there, you know, with with the Volm going up with them, there was more of the certainty of extraterrestrial life helping to operate an extraterrestrial vehicle, whereas you have two humans trying to do something completely foreign to them. And here's Lexi, who knows the Ashveni paradigm, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. who can operate it. That is what is appealing to me. But I loved Tom's point about this. You know, he was saying, I don't know Lexi. I don't know how she's going to react in pressure situations. I'm scared of myself around her. And and that was it. When I think when he admitted that to himself, and I think I was kind of in that boat, he realized that he was acting with his heart instead of his head. And so slowly compartmentalizing the mission with his daughter to say, all right, I need you for your skill set, not because you are my daughter. Right. That was how he ultimately came to terms with it. And I actually started waffling back the other direction in this, in this, at this really? point, because she had said to, for the things you already mentioned, she's, she's eavesdropping. She was already aware of the mission when yep. she showed up and it's like, 
And now she wants to go on the mission. I'm like, oh, she's just kind of wormed away in there. She's going to take over the mission and destroy it. I don't know if I can trust her or not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that definitely felt like what it was, what they were trying to do. You're, You're just trying to get on this mission and sabotage everything. Exactly. Yeah. And you'd really, and they did a really good job of throwing a lot of those things in periodically along the way mm-hmm. they and, sure did. and not just leaving it and going. So the yeah. decision has been made. They're going to take her on the mission. Yep. Ben is now cast aside and she takes a walk through the second mass ghetto to the Beamer. I call it the walk of hate because it was just one after another of, yeah. of hateful words being said to her. And that was, that was really even Ben, or excuse me, Matt comes up to her and, and says something mean to her. So that was that was harsh. I know. That was so, that was hard. And I think one thing that came to mind was if, if there was going to be anything that reinforced her ideas about humans, you know, how she was always saying humans are prone to lying and deceit and anger and war. I, yeah. The only thing I want in this world is peace. You know, if anything was to reinforce that idealism, it was going to be this. I mean, right. what this was the lowest that humans get to, you know, in terms of casting angry words at people for things that they already know and feel regretful over. I mean, that is the lowest of the low and by family, no less Mm -hmm. people who are supposed to love her no matter what. Yep. She does not have a very good example so far, (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time, she recognizes that she deserves a lot of that. So she's willing to, to kind of do her penance and, and and hopefully redeem herself and earn her redemption, I guess, if you will, at least in the minds of, of the people. Right. And then uh, Hal gives Tom a syringe to take care of Lexi should the need arise. (laughs) I don't think I would have ever expected Tom to use it. I was a little surprised that he took it, though. Yeah. Well, it sure came in handy. Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear some from some listeners. We're going to do some of these feedbacks a little bit differently this week because we got so much feedback, which is Awesome. So what I did on some of these where we had multiple people kind of uh, chiming in on the same type of uh, comment thread, I've actually grouped them together. So here simultaneously, well, not simultaneously, right after one another, we're going to hear Mark and then we're going to hear Dustbin. I didn't understand whenever Lexi decided to go along, why did Ben have to stay back? Tom and Ben were supposed to be on this mission. They did not know at this point that the hull of the, the, the Beamer had been compromised and that they would be losing life support. When they were leaving, I don't understand why they just didn't include Lexi with the two of them. It would have made more sense for both Ben and Tom to keep an eye on Lexi. We see Lexi returning to the camp, found it quite hard to watch. When she has to walk through the crowd and they're all telling her how much they hate her and don't trust her, even her own family made me feel really uncomfortable. I'm not good with confrontation, even though I have a job that puts me in confrontational positions all the time. <laughs> Isn't that the way? Yeah. We always work in the field that challenges the most insecure pieces of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It was hard to watch, Dustman, no doubt. And I think I think yeah. Tom or Tom, his name is not Tom, his name is Mark. He brought up a great point where it w- didn't have to be a a swap out of Lexi for Ben. Why not include Ben? It would have been 
there could have been a good strategical reason to include Ben. Yeah. And I didn't think about that, that until point. he mentioned it. And then I was like, huh, yeah, that's a good point. I think the plan had always been to just send two people up. And I don't know whether that was to minimize casualties or what, but I never understood the, you know, the absolute need to only take two. Right. Like who decided on two? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And that's exactly it. They, there was a design for two, but I'm not sure why. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. I think I half expected all three of them to go as well, Mark. Yeah, that thought never even occurred to me. So they they go up, and it doesn't take long, of course. Nothing ever goes smoothly. And in fact, it goes so badly that had Lexi not been there, they would have died. Tom and Ben would have died. So that that turned out to be fortuitous that she's there now instead of Ben. um, And all kinds of things are going wrong. I guess I guess there was a bit of time where it was smooth because there was a nice little conversation that I, I forgot about until I looked at your note here about uh, something that Tom pointed out with Lexi, right? Right. Uh, you know, Lexi is trying to bond with her father in some sort of roundabout way. Whether it was her true intention of the mission, I kind of doubted, but nice little side job. But uh, she's playing with her hair and... Tom is momentarily distracted saying your mother does that sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my question for you is, did that feel forced or was it all right? It didn't feel forced. It felt generic. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that playing with your hair is, is so obscure that it has to be attributed to your mother. I think there are a number of women who, who have nervous tics or things like that, different mannerisms that they do. Um, whether it be the way they fold their arms or the way they they hold their hands or the way maybe they touch their ear or their nose or their chin or play with their hair. I mean, to me, it was like, that's pretty generic, but okay. I couldn't really even think of a time when I've seen Anne doing that. It seems (laughs) like such a little girl thing to do. It does, yeah. Gonna play with this. But, But yeah, it is a little girl thing, so maybe she just does it very rarely, but... You know, I thought it was really cute. I I really liked them drawing out this part of Lexi. It made her it made me trust her even more. Okay. But at the same time it felt a little forced. Yeah. So, I know okay. that's a little contradictory, but yeah, I don't know. Overall, I I just really liked this bonding time on the ship and it it gave Tom the chance to be the best of who he is and, you know, in times of crises, he is at his strongest. And he doesn't have time to worry about those minute little things like being angry with his daughter. Mm-hmm. He has to he has to be the leader, and then then he starts to think rationally again, and everything comes to a plane where he he's going okay, yeah, I recognize where I am now. So mm-hmm. it kind of helps him to even out a little bit. Sure. So when did okay? For maybe first question is when while she is cocooning Tom. Yes. Are you <laughs> other than? How incredibly awkward that was. Were you suspicious of this? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. My bells were going off big time. Red flags. Oh, this isn't good. She's cocooning him. She's lured him into this thing, just like I was afraid of. And then when he's trying to talk and she just like puts her hand and he sucks in the stuff and he's out. I'm like, oh, this is this is not this is good. So bad. Yeah. What were your thoughts? I I really wasn't suspicious until Tom said, that's exactly what you said to Lourdes yes. before you killed her. She's like, huh? And then she goes, odd. is it? 
And before that, I was like, oh, this is so sweet. She's saving her father. <laughs> and, and then, but okay. So then my next question is, and this, I mean, he looked pretty tightly packed into that cocoon. Uh-huh. How in the world did she put herself in there with him? I, I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's a good question. Because when they wake up, she's definitely laying on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is. <laughs> Maybe there's uh, more room on the on the side away from the camera that we couldn't see. Maybe. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, in terms of the dream cocoon, mm-hmm. Mickey from OKC wrote it and told us, I knew almost right away that Tom was in a dream after he went into the pod. That was a pretty easy call. However, I thought it was made for a nice device for Tom and Lexi to bond before Lexi dies. Dies in quotes. Yeah. Because... Because well, we don't really know. We don't know. We didn't see a body. Yeah. <laughs> well, there must have been something in the water here in Oklahoma City because I was the same way. Look, they've had so many of these throughout the course of this series that as soon as he woke up without us having seen the mission at all, I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not falling yeah. for this. He's in a yep. dream state. I mean, I was like with Mickey, instantly called it. Yep. I just wasn't ready to fall for that again. <laughs> I've fallen for it plenty even, of times. Right. Well, I knew that it wasn't real, but I I couldn't figure out at what stage he was having this. Like, were they, did something hit their plane and they were, you know, in, in a state of limbo? Maybe they were at the point of near death or I, I didn't even cross my mind that they were in the cocoon dreaming in the cocoon, you know, but. I thought I, I just I loved this dream sequence and I, I've been seeing as I finally had internet again today that people were reacting pretty poorly to this episode, but I was so surprised because mm. I loved how cleanly their desires and their hopes merged together in this dream where almost instantaneously Tom desperately wants this mission to succeed and so Lexi is the one who saves them all pretty much. So it's it's like at the same time he's getting what he wants and she's getting what she wants but and for, and for a little while they merge together really well until her knowledge of his world starts to disintegrate a little bit and they become further and further apart. But at least here at the beginning it was you know there there, there were things that she wants but also that things she wanted because Tom wanted them. You know like uh like the DNA the DNA of the Ashveni just falling off of her or however they phrase that, you know, that, that was something that she wanted, but she also wanted to see uh, her father to see her as normal. She wanted her family to see her as normal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was, I just, I found it really, really cute. And it was, it was that it was uh, kind of getting back into her humanity and, and showing us that she is really trying here and that she actually really desires these things. Like just as much as Tom wants this war to be over, and as much as he wants Pope to leave the second mass, she equally. <laughs> she <does too. laughs> He's gone. All, all right. Yeah. I know. Let's start the, laughing. There was none of this. Let's go find him. It was like, okay, right. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. I liked it. How I love this too. I, I loved it. I, I just loved how there was um, an exploration of, the trueness that it was like the walls were almost taken down because mm-hmm. the you didn't, you know, she, she put up this dream world around him to try to figure out the heart of the matter and to 
express the heart of her to him. And uh, so an, an exploration of humanity as he's talking to the different people and she's revealing different things about herself through through different, the different people because if she were to reveal herself as herself, there would instantly be walls put up. And so right. I, I just liked how this was able, and you know, you get a little bit of a dream weaver, huh? You got a little dream weaver in this, in this little dream. Gosh. <laughs> I suppose it was your time to sing. That's right. I've been waiting. I had it in my notes. I, I even started <laughs> yes, to make yes, it my, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I'm like, it's a dream weaver. <laughs> I love puns. I can't help it, but I almost made that my episode rating. Oh, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, well, can't have them all. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm at in the notes now. I just skipped I ahead to that. There were, I, I liked how as soon as Tom realized, well, I think it was when Anne mentioned Kadar, that's when, when the dream sequence really shattered for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was starting to break down before that, but just everything compiling on one on top of each other, as soon as it breaks down, it's like, he finally enters into his daughter's world where she is so scared that she has to hide <laughs> inside of other people and, right. and have conversations that he, that she knows he's having inside his own head mm-hmm. you know, through his sons and, and through Weaver as mentioned and even sensing in that, that Weaver is her ally. He's the only one so far that had any sort of faith in her. If, if faith is even the right word, at right. least being able to see the humanity in her. Yeah, that's right. It reminded me, at least in the way that Tom was able to kind of sense that something was off and then use a piece of dialogue to, to know that, you know, the gig is up. There's an episode yep. of Star Trek The Next Generation called Future Imperfect. It's one of my favorite episodes, and okay. there's a whole uh, they 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 send a, a team down to this planet to figure out what's going on down there, and then the next thing you know, Riker wakes up and like fifteen, sixteen years have gone by, and he's now the captain, and this whole the rest of the episode goes goes by and and things, and he starts thinking, yeah, something this doesn't feel right, you know. But I've been out of it for a while and that sort of thing, and then. Uh, what finally the thing that pushes him over the edge, he starts uh, the edge. He starts asking data all these questions and data can't answer them fast enough. And then because oh. data is not being able to compute fast enough, he uses a contraction. He says, I can't figure it out or I, I, I can't do it that fast. And he says, what'd you say? And he says, I cannot do it that fast. He's like, no, 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 you didn't. You said can't and data doesn't use <laughs> contractions. And that was it. The gig was up at that point. And the Romulans had him in some sort of like, he was. they were using his memories to exploit him and they had him in kind of like a holodeck type of thing. And it was cool because it was like this whole sequence of things. And so that's what this reminded me of. And of course, we, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, but we didn't really talk about it. And that is that Jonathan Frakes has directed a couple of episodes of, of um, uh, Falling Skies, including an, uh, season three, episode nine, and season four. This season, episode six, which was the third door, I think was the name of that episode. Okay. So a couple of little Star Trek. So who was there. Jonathan Frakes? Well, he played in... Commander Riker on, on Star oh, Trek: okay. Next Generation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it it actually reminded me of the Fringe episode LSD, and toward yeah, the end of, of that, Fringe, when yeah. yeah, when Olivia is hiding inside of her younger self and in order for Peter to 
see the real her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it really reminded me of that and just how Lexi really uses Lourdes at the end there to express her deep remorse over what she did to Lourdes and the fact that she can't even forgive herself. And, and the fact that she knows that she needs forgiveness or knows that she should be feeling remorse makes you think that it's like an innate human characteristic to just feel those sorts of things because she hasn't been taught. Well, I guess she did read a lot, so maybe she learned yeah, of it through that. She hasn't but, really demonstrated that at all. Right. Not a, Yeah, she, she hasn't internalized it mm-hmm. until, until realizing how skewed her logic is with Lourdes. And, right. and I really like how that is kind of the gateway into that bond solidifying between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as soon as they, they come to that realization, then they realize he recognizes her humanity. And that's, that's all that was kind of the, the trust yep. is on at that point, which was really nice. Yes. Although very, they do that's give a us, very good way to say it. Yeah. Although they do give us another little twist a little bit later, just, just to make us doubt one more time. <laughs> but at this point I'm full on trusting Lexi. And so is he. Okay. Yep. No, me too. Definitely. And I and I really liked that they gave Scarlet Byrne her real hair color back for this dream sequence. I mean, I know it had to do with her desire to want to be fully human mm-hmm. and have her Ashveni DNA fall off of her, but it really helped to... I mean, it's just that whole thing with the monster piece of her falling away and being able to see the humanity inside of her. It was it was really powerful. Exactly, that was great. I was surprised when we saw her with brown hair. I was too. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, as you can imagine, we got a lot of feedback on this dream sequence because it was a big part of the episode. So let's listen to what Mark Dustbin and the Polish Blonde had to say about Tom's dream. I was really upset when Tom woke up and we found out that it had been a couple of days and the moon attack had gone, everything had succeeded. And I kept thinking, it's like, oh man, I really wanted to see the moon attack. And I was really upset that we hadn't gotten a chance to do that. I thought it was a real cop out on them on the show to do that. But then I caught on pretty quick when they said that the mission they had gone out on that Hal had decided to, instead of just doing recon, the Hal had attacked. And all of a sudden I, I started thinking at that point, okay, something's not right here. And then from that point on, the little clues they were putting on, it's like, oh, okay, he's in a dream, this isn't right. And sure enough, it all ended up being a dream. Although I must say, during that dream, I thought the part where Tom came out of the cocoon and started throwing up was one of the coolest vomiting scenes I've ever seen on TV. Indeed. I've never really liked dream sequences, except maybe the one on the Big Lebowski with the bowling. But I get the point. It was to get Tom to trust Lexi and forgive her, which he did. But then right at the end, I like the bit where you find out the bombs have been sabotaged or broken. And for a moment, you have to wonder whether she's still the enemy and it's all a plan. Things that really grabbed me. The dream sequence with Tom and Lexi coming together in that dream sequence. I don't know if there's a bigger connection here because we only see Lexi connecting with her human family in this way. Her mom and dad. And that seems significant to me. I don't know why, but she connects with her mom, with Anne, in the previous episode, in the dream sequence while she's in the cocoon, and she connects with Tom, and she works through her childhood fears, which also proves the point. She may look like an adult, but really, Lexi is just a child inside. How do we talk about that? We got everything from the best barf scene ever to some really great comments about the... Bonding moments with her parents. I'll let you figure this one out. 
joke. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, I think it was Dustin <laughs> who called in last week with just uh, how much she liked um, the character development that has taken place uh-huh. in that episode. Yeah. And and I th- and she touched on it again here. And I think, you know, when it comes to penultimate episodes, you you're hoping for something that really just puts the season finale up on a pedestal and you know mm-hmm. something big is coming because if we had if we had gotten these in two separate weeks i don't know if i would have been like really next week is the season finale i mean and in that way this episode was i i really needed this episode i needed tom and lexi to connect in order for lexi's character to mean anything to me this season and that's what we got from this episode and mm-hmm. that that character connection here that that ability for Tom to be again, like I said, the best of who he is, both as you know a civil leader and as a father. I mean, she would never have known what made Tom such a great father to his boys. And I don't know. I felt like in just in that alone, this episode was completely worth it. And seeing it through the lens of a dream sequence, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, however you have to do it, and this is definitely the way Lexi knew she'd be able to communicate with her father. Sure. Yeah. This show has done more dream sequences than any other that I can, that I believe I've ever, you know, watched with any regularity. And that could get to be a little bit overdone. And I think that they they need to be careful of that. But yeah, I, you know, because of what they did through the character developments and the spin that they put on it, it had a purpose. It wasn't just a dream sequence to throw the audience off and nothing more. After the mm-hmm. dream sequence was over, both characters took away something from that dream sequence that propelled them forward in a great way, made them stronger, it bonded yes. them in a way that they needed to be bonded and the audience needed to have to needed to see. So for that reason, I thought it was great and yeah, I did love the barfing scene. That was one of the best. That was, it was so the, like the first one. I was like, "Awesome, white barf!" And then he did it again. I'm like, "Even cooler!" I was trying to figure out how they <laughs> did it. Like, was there a jet you know, on the other side? It was just you know off a camera shot. How'd they do it? I wanted to know because it was pretty cool. I have, I can't remember if it was like a commentary on the show once, but they described what kind of substance they use to do that mm-hmm. but they actually do it that was very like projectile mm-hmm. like two two projectiles yes, I could, I could it see was being, spewing yeah so i could see maybe him having a mouthful of something but that was more than you could fit like so i'm thinking there was some sort of device yeah, hooked up to him one. to spew that <laughs> can't believe we're having this um, much conversation on barf. <laughs> on barf the episode must have been fantastic <laughs> Well, Dustbin also geeked out about Tom's comments about going to the moon. And this is such a fun comment. I had to include it, even though it doesn't okay. necessarily tie into the, to, I mean, t- ties into the show, but you know what I mean? Here it is. Yeah. I can't remember if it's in the first hour or the second, but I just love Tom's comment about being the 25th person to visit the moon. I had a bit of a geek moment where I had to pause the show and try to remember the names of the previous 24. I realised a few years ago I've got a fascination with space travel and the moon landings while I was watching a series called From the Earth to the Moon and found myself completely engrossed in an episode that just told you about building the lunar module. Anyway, I thought it was brilliant. But near the end, he sat there reading his philosophy book. I have to say, if I was stuck up there, I'd much rather be staring at the wonders of the moon than reading a book. Me too. I mean, you you never get a view like that. and You've got your head in a book. Two, who would want to do something like that? That's just ridiculous. 
Oh, I will say technically he called it too soon. He never made it to the moon, so. I know, yeah. Well, and, you know, Tom Hanks did the same thing, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, some closing thoughts on this episode then Gannon wrote in, said, a good build-up to the finale. I'm glad we were able to get an entire episode focused on Tom and Lexi's relationship. The build-up to Tom forgiving Lexi, but more importantly, Lexi forgiving herself and finally embracing herself as a human, which I believe made her sacrifice and death so much more impactful. Even though I definitely was not a fan of Lexi, didn't hate the storyline as much as others did, though. This episode definitely helped in accepting her. I thought it was a also a nice and clever way to do this episode, similar to the style of Strange Brew, a nice homage. But I didn't have this, but it didn't have the same impact as that episode did. Overall, not my favorite episode, but did a very good job with Lexi's relationship and the directing was fantastic. He gives it seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal: we finished our discussion on both of these episodes, and it was two hours long. So we came back. We decided to break the discussion into two parts. Don't worry, we're going to release the second half of this tomorrow, so you won't have to wait a whole week or anything like that. We just wanted to kind of make it into to eat more easily digestible sizes. So we're going to go ahead and cut this episode off here at the end of our discussion on Space Oddity, and uh, we'll give you our discussion on Shoot the Moon in a different episode tomorrow, which means we don't have to say goodbye, goodbye yet. We can just say goodbye. We'll say, see you later. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Berserker Cast. And until next time, don't forget that resistance is never, ever futile. And it's very easy to get carried off by aliens.